Good morning, guys. Um, yeah, so like you said, we're, we're getting ready to wrap up this Poor Me series today. And uh, we've been wrestling over the past few weeks with this idea that if we want to be the kind of people that follow Jesus' example in serving the materially poor, then we have to realize that poverty isn't just economic, right? Like there are other types of poverty that exist in everybody's life, regardless of how much money or stuff we have. And if we don't acknowledge these other types of poverty, we find ourselves where our attempts at serving those who are economically impoverished end up going sideways. And, and they can sometimes hurt instead of helping. So the first two weeks we talked about uh, the poverty of being and poverty of community. And if you didn't get to catch those, please go back, catch those online. Uh, you, you definitely wanna catch up on that conversation. But this week we're gonna, uh, we're gonna talk about something we're calling poverty of stewardship. Now, I want to start by like talking about what stewardship is and isn't, because it's not exactly a word that we throw around every day, right? And if this is a word that you're super familiar with, there's a good chance you grew up in the kind of church where stewardship was kind of a code word for like, give as much money as you can to the church, which is not what we're talking about today, so you can breathe easy on that one. Because the truth is, I think a person could be giving all kinds of money to the church and to all sorts of worthy causes and still be experiencing poverty of stewardship. So what is stewardship? What does that mean? I want to give you a little bit of an example from popular culture. So we're going to bring up a picture um, on screen. Does anybody know who this guy is? Do we, have, do we have that picture? Yeah. So you might be thinking this is Ozzy Osbourne, just without like the glasses and the makeup. It is not, believe it or not. Um, if you are anybody a big nerd in here, like you know who this is. Yes, this is a Lord of the Rings reference. I am among you. Um, this guy is a character from the Lord of the Rings known as the Steward of Gondor. And if you're not a nerd like some of us, um, here's the recap. So in Lord of the Rings, there's this kingdom called Gondor. And the heir to the throne is missing. So they put the steward, this guy, in charge of Gondor until the king can be found and returns to, to claim his throne. And that's what a steward does. It's someone who manages something on another person's behalf. So to understand this idea of poverty of stewardship, we have to rewind all the way to the beginning. Because the Bible tells us in Genesis that after God made the world, he placed mankind in the Garden of Eden to act as a steward on his behalf. And it wasn't just God assigning Adam and Eve like landscaping chores to do around there. Like it was a, a much bigger responsibility than that. He gave them the responsibility to curate and manage all of God's creation on his behalf. But of course, we all know how this story goes. We're human and Adam and Eve were human and things went wrong and off the rails really, really quickly. And one of the results of that was a poverty of stewardship. And poverty of stewardship begins with messing with our view of work. It's a messed up view of work. Now, I think some of us may be lucky and we really enjoy our work, or at least maybe we don't totally hate it. But oftentimes in our culture, we're taught to see work as this thing that we do just to get what we want or need for ourselves and our family members. It's the idea captured by this meme. Have you guys seen this one? Uh, let's see the, the dwarves meme. Do we have that? I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, right? <laughs> I'm not entirely certain which dwarf wrote this version of the song, but my guess is like it's probably either grumpy or sleepy, right? <laughs> In the beginning, God had this design for work where it was supposed to be this meaningful thing that we do on behalf of God as part of our calling to steward his world. 
But now our view of work has been so corrupted that most of us either like have to force ourselves out of bed and begrudgingly drag ourselves to work, or we push ourselves into workaholism and we define ourselves solely by what we do for work. And both of those reflect poverty of stewardship. I want you to check out this quote from the, a book we've referenced several times in this series, When Helping Hurts. One of the authors describes his experience of poverty of stewardship this way, and it's, it's been kind of <laughs> uh, hitting me right at the core all week. Um, he says, for most of my life, I have struggled with workaholic tendencies. Instead of seeing work as one of the arenas in my life in which I glorify God and serve others, I've made work my God, and I've tried to find my meaning, purpose, and worth through being productive. Anybody else identify with that one? I don't experience material poverty as my drivenness to productivity keeps food on my table. However, it has led to another kind of poverty. Strained relationships with family and friends, physical and emotional ailments resulting from stress, and spiritual weakness from inadequate time for a meaningful devotional life. I could almost just stop there and we could reflect on that, right? Um, this is what poverty of stewardship does to our view of work. It warps it. It messes up God's design for what it looks like for us to show up with all that we have. And it's not the only thing it messes with. It also messes with our view of resources. Poverty of stewardship involves a messed up view of resources. Because when we're in poverty of stewardship, we begin to view the money that we have as something we did. Like, like it's purely the result of what we did to earn it. Now, I, I want to make sure, like, we've, we've all had these moments in this series. This is a classic Brian Mills, don't hear what I'm not saying moment. Because I don't want you to think I'm disvaluing, like, the, the role of uh, hard work. Hard work is important. I grew up in the kind of home where that was a huge value, and I'm incredibly thankful for that. It's a value I hope to pass on to my kids as well. But when I see what I have is simply a result of what I have done to earn it, and nothing else, that's an incomplete picture of what's really going on. Because the work that I do, it plays a part, for sure, in what I have. But so does the area of the world that I was born in. So does the work that my parents did to be able to provide me with a more financially secure life than they experienced. So does the education that I had access to, the people that invested in my life, the gifts and abilities that God gave me, and probably a whole other list of things I haven't even realized yet. The Apostle Paul hit the nail on the head with this when he said, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? Poverty of stewardship says, whatever I have, I made it happen. I earned it. And not only is that, not, is that untrue, it also robs me of the humility and gratitude that I should have for all that God's given me and all that, that was given to me by people that, who came before me. And it can also be really detrimental to my attempts to serve the materially poor. Because when I believe that everything I have, I earned, the flip side of that coin is that somewhere in there, I may also believe that those who have less than I do are deserving of less than I have. And when we position ourselves as the hero in this story, where the people that we serve are just like the lucky recipients of my hard work and my benevolence, it obliterates the opportunity to experience authentic community with them. 
and to invite them into the game and into the kingdom where they show up with the gifts and abilities God's given them. I wanna give you an example uh, from my own life. So uh, you may or may not know that um, in my 20s, I spent a couple of years with the Wycliffe Bible Translators as a linguist, and I spent about a year of that on assignment in Kenya, uh, where I helped to like, figure out good alphabets for languages that hadn't been written down yet so that the people much smarter than me could begin translating the Bible into those languages. And I'm getting some like, like weird, weird looks on this, like, whoa. Uh, let, me sh- that, let me assure you, I always tell people, like, that, that's my stupid human trick. I don't, like, languages make sense to me, but if you ask me to pick up milk from the store, I'm going to forget every time. Um, so I'm, I'm in Kenya, I'm working on this project in one of the poorest regions in, in all of Kenya. And one day I have the opportunity to go visit this village where everyone there exclusively speaks the language that I'm working with. And we're going there to kind of get their ideas about how we can begin introducing literacy uh, to, to their, their people. And it's my first time there, so as soon as they see me arrive, uh, they take the one chair that they have in this village, and they put it right in the middle. And then they bring me this, they make me sit down there, they bring me this piping hot mug of tea, which is like, got all this extra ginger root in it, and probably about half a bag of sugar, because I'm telling you, like, Southerners with their sweet tea have nothing on Kenyans with their tea. I'm still surprised I don't have diabetes from that single cup of tea alone. (laughs) And then this little girl comes up to me, and she hands me this packet of those, like, Japanese peanuts that they used to give out on airplanes as kind of a mid-flight snack. And then everyone in the village sits down around me to watch me drink the one cup of tea and the one packet of Japanese peanuts. And it was the most awkward experience of my life. It was super uncomfortable. Because I'm looking around and I'm thinking, like, let's be real here. I'm the last person in this entire village that needs these peanuts. I have never experienced hunger a day in my life. And these people actually have. And even deeper than that, like, this is not why I came here. Like, I came here to give something for you. Like, I came to be able to bless you with, with my gifts of, of literacy and reading and all of these things. I came to be the giver. You're supposed to be the receiver, not the other way around. And I'd been in Kenya long enough that I realized, like, it's going to be a huge insult if I don't accept this. <laughs> so I awkwardly sat there, and I ate the peanuts and drank the tea, and they all commented on it while I did. <laughs> and here's the thing. Me being willing to be awkward in that moment and accept their hospitality is what paved the way for me to go from being the the awkward person sitting in that guest of honor chair, where I had honestly probably positioned myself in some ways in my head, to actually having a spot on the ground among them, and being able to experience community with them and share ideas and laughter and talk about what they wanted for the future of their language group. Because here's the thing, these people didn't want to be my project. They wanted to be my partners. That's a good thing, because there are things I never would have learned if I didn't have the opportunity to learn from them as well, and position myself as a partner and not a benefactor in this group. And you don't have to go halfway around the world to experience this. Anytime we find ourselves exclusively focusing on how much more that we have than somebody else, we position ourselves as a giver and, not, and them as the receiver, it leads us to shutting down any attempt or opportunity they have to begin to express their stewardship in the world and experience this opportunity to bless you or someone else with their generosity and their service. 
you essentially become a blessings thief is what happens. Like, you get to enjoy all the warm, fuzzy feelings of helping somebody out and checking the box of serving, but you rob somebody else of experiencing the same when you refuse to accept what has been offered. This sort of blessing theft is a symptom of poverty of stewardship. So what does it look like if we want to move out of poverty of stewardship? I think Paul has some really great insight for us in a letter that he wrote to Jesus followers who, who were living in probably what was the most powerful city in the world at that time. Not unlike those of us who live in the U.S., right? He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Now, Paul's not just talking about our physical bodies here. The word that he uses for body connotes our entire person, our whole being, our whole life. That's why I really love the way Eugene Peterson puts this in the message version. It says, take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Now, to the Romans who originally heard these words, this was revolutionary. It was radical. Because people in their culture were approaching spirituality kind of like, like a high school senior who's just looking to get a C and like move on with their life. Or in their case, stay on the good side of the gods, do just enough. So for a high school senior, we call this phenomenon senioritis. <laughs> but for Roman spirituality, they called the system Pax Deorum. It's a fancy Latin term that means a system that they had where there were all these little altars set up in their homes and in temples around town, and they would periodically go and put little sacrifices or offerings here and there, just enough to check the box, keep the gods happy, and say, you know, I'm a good spiritual person. But then Jesus comes along, and he blows up this whole system, and he declares that there's a whole new way of participating in the kingdom of God, where God has already made the sacrifice, and he's not looking for that from us anymore. And he doesn't want just little bits and pieces of our life here and there. He's not looking to keep a scorecard of who gets in and who's done enough and who hasn't. He wants our whole life, all of you, in relationship with him. Not to keep him from smiting you, but because he loves you. He wants your whole life as a response to the grace and mercy that you've already received. This is a system where we don't have to hustle anymore or check boxes to earn God's favor because his love has already been demonstrated in its fullness with Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And now Paul's saying, this is what it looks like to participate in the kingdom of God now. You accept the love and the sacrifice that's already been, been given to you and you draw near to a loving and good God, place your whole self before him just see what he does with it. And that's still the invitation for us today. God is calling all of us to practice whole life stewardship, to stop just checking boxes in our faith or worrying if we've done just enough to get in. Breaking out of poverty of stewardship, it's not about doing more or giving more in and of itself. It's about refusing to hold back any part of my life from God. To do this, we have to embrace the reality that everything we have came from God. And we commit ourselves to using all that he's given us to help restore the world to the way he wanted it managed for him in the first place. Every single person on this earth, every single one of us, is created in the image of God. 
And we're called to bring our whole self to bear for the benefit of the world and everybody in it. So don't settle for just doing a little bit here and there, for just relegating your, your faith to checking boxes and doing just enough to feel like you're staying on God's good side. Instead, do what Paul said. Let's take our everyday, ordinary life, our sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. And we do, when we do this, we'll end up serving the materially poor in ways that actually help them discover God's design for stewardship in their own lives. Discover their place in the kingdom. So the question that we want to wrestle with this week is this. Am I using my gifts, talents, and resources in a way that serves the poor so that they are invited to serve too? Where we invite them into the adventure of being stewards in God's kingdom together. Imagine what that world would look like, guys. Like if every one of God's image bearers, the world over, was invited to show up with all that they have and all that they are and take their place as stewards on God's behalf. Where everybody's work and contribution were valued and they fit together the way God designed it. Not over-functioning in workaholism and not repressed by the lie that some of us are just givers and some are receivers. In Galatians, Paul says, for you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We know that the truth is we don't all have equality of means. That's true in this room, and it's definitely true in the world at large which is why we're compelled to be generous with what God's placed in our hands for the benefit and the blessing of other people. But we do have equality of worth. God loves all of us, and he's calling us all into this kingdom stewardship. We are all children of his, united in our mission to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when you came in today, uh, you should have received a little communion cup. Um, if you didn't get one of those, can you just raise your hand and keep it up? Somebody from our VIP team will just bring one to you where you are. If you're online, I know there was a note to grab these beforehand. This is a great time to go get uh, some juice or bread or whatever you have on hand. But we're going to practice communion together today. Because communion is uh, something that followers of Jesus have been doing since the very beginning uh, as a way of reminding themselves of what Jesus has already given and uniting as one church one kingdom of God. So I'm going to read to you a passage of scripture um, where Paul talks about this practice. And we're going to actually take communion together at the same time as an act of unity today, a reminder that we are all part <laughs> of this calling to be stewards of God's kingdom. First Corinthians says, On the night on which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this and to remember me. Father, we thank you um, that you gave your whole self, your whole self to the mission of coming and loving us and showing what it looks like to be a part of this new kingdom. Let's eat this together, guys.
it says he did the same thing with the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drink it, do this to remember me. Let's drink together, guys. Father, I want to thank you that you poured yourself out for us and that you're inviting us to take our place as stewards in your kingdom, to lay everything that we have, our regular mundane lives, before you and to allow you to make of it the masterpiece that you had in mind. I pray that you would give us the courage to say yes to that day in and day out. Amen. Okay, guys, thank you so much for doing that together. Um, before we head out and we put this into practice in our everyday walking around lives, um, I'm going to take off my teaching hat for just a minute and put back on my family pastor hat because uh, th- we have something going on this week that's uh, a big part of our summer 573 that we did not get to experience last year, so we're pretty excited about it. Uh, camp, middle school camp is happening starting tomorrow. Yes, some of you are going. We didn't get to do camp at all last year. Go kids, high schoolers have already gone. So middle school is our last group. And they leave tomorrow morning. And I would really like for us to pray for them before they go. Uh, So we're going to do something a little different. They have a slide for us ready. Uh, I want you guys to take a look at this. Um, We've got the leaders that are going on one side and their first names. And then all the students that are going to camp with us uh, from middle school are on the other side. I'd love for you to just pick out a name that stands out to you and pray for them specifically. I'm going to pray for all of the students and leaders that are going, but I would love for you to pick one to just pray that God, uh, God makes himself known to them in a new way in the next week, that they get to experience his love and his goodness um, anew in, in the next five days or so. Sound good? Father, we thank you for the opportunity to get to uh, experience camp this year. Uh, We want to pray for these leaders and these middle school students as they head off to Illinois um, this week to to learn more about who you are and what you've done for them and the adventure that you're inviting them into. I pray that you would help to minimize uh, the, the anxieties and distractions and concerns at home so that they can be present to what you're doing and saying to them at camp, both for the leaders and for the students. And I pray that you would just, like, bowl them over <laughs> with the truth of your love. That they, they wouldn't be able to deny that they are loved and they're chosen and that there's a place for them in your kingdom and that they'd say yes to it. I pray that you keep them safe on the journey and bring them back uh, ready to live this out in their everyday walking around lives. In your name, amen. Okay, so before they get rid of this slide, I want you to do something for me. If you've got your phone, grab it especially if you can take a picture. Uh, I'm going to get out of the way of the slide, and I would love for you to just take a picture real quick so that you have the names of these students and leaders. And this week, maybe set a reminder in your phone and just pray for one of them by name this week. Pray for our leaders that they can stay present with our kids and they get opportunities to share the truth of God's love with them. Uh, Pray for our students that they experience community and uh, the love of God in new ways. You guys got that? Okay, you are dismissed. We will see you back next week as we kick off a new series.